Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. It's September 13th, 2021. This is Tom coming to you from the Sawdust Studios in the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. We come to you with unmitigated elation in our hearts and not just a bit of self-satisfaction as the national and local media were proven wrong again. The Steelers spot Buffalo 10 points before completely turning the tide and ultimately vanquishing the Bills, an already playoff-adorned team, 23-16. This was truly a game the Steelers played with one arm tied behind their backs. This defense could prove to be a dynastic force, stifling the heralded Josh Allen and the Bills' offense, giving the Steelers' offense time to steady its legs, ultimately advancing inexorably to consecutive touchdowns. Unfortunately, work got in the way of our ability to record this podcast in tandem, but you get the best of the Steelers Outpost duo as Nick brings you a review of the game. Ladies and gentlemen, it is September 13th, 2021, and this is the first Victory Monday of the season for the Pittsburgh Steelmen and Steelers Nation. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. This is Nick coming to you solo from the Houston Outpost. Papa Tom doing big man things right now. And we had to get a podcast out to talk about this miraculous first victory, this statement win by the Pittsburgh Steelers over the Buffalo Bills, 23-16 to in Buffalo, knocking off the guaranteed MVP and potential Super Bowl champions as the table-crushing, wing-crushing, fan base, the super fan base of the Buffalo Bills were in the stadium for the first time since their team became uh, quite excellent. Despite all that, the Steelmen, the Steel Curtain, the new Steel Curtain triumphs in a massive statement win for the Steelers. So I'm going to talk about that today. We will talk about how the defense led the Steelers to victory making an early case, and yes, it's a wacky week one, but they're making an early case to be the number one defense in the NFL. They're looking like the guaranteed sort of top five defense that we all predicted at the beginning of the year, but this kind of performance against the Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, a team who they actually had a lot of success in their first meeting last year in the first half, but then Diggs and Allen kind of lit them on fire in the second half with the Steelers offense not really doing their job. So you didn't really know how this game was going to go. And, you know, especially at this point in the NFL, 
these super quarterbacks like Josh Allen, who have crazy arms, who can throw from any arm angle, and who are elite scramblers as well, the, the rules are set up for those guys to be able to burn any defense. So holding them under 20 points is a massive accomplishment, and it says a lot about what the Steelers are going to be this season, despite week one always having some funky results. So I'm going to talk about the defense there because they're the main character. We're going to talk about the Jekyll and Hyde special teams, which at the end of the day came through. We're going to talk about the Jekyll and Jekyll with a dose of Hyde offense that also came through when they really needed to. And I'm going to talk about how Mike Tomlin and the butt man, Keith Butler, had one of their finest showings in this modern Steelers era. So I think the obvious place to start is with said defense. And I'm going to start with that. I'm going to have a great conversation with myself like a psychopath, which is not a bad way to talk about sports, but there is a better way. And that better way is at Spotify Greenroom, which is a live audio-only sports talk platform that's free to download and easy as hell to use. You can talk to fans. You can talk to insiders. You can even talk to athletes in real time. It's perfect for crap talking, for post-game breakdowns. If you've gotten enough of your Browns memes out of your system on Twitter, you know, for choking away a week one victory, and <laughs> that was within their grasp, but then the Browns got a Browns. You've done that on Twitter enough, head over to Spotify Greenroom. Let's talk about it. It's a perfect place to do it. Spotify Greenroom is a free platform. All you need to do is download the app for free in the iOS app store, Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. Okay, let's talk about NFL co-MVPs Cam Hayward and TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick and what they did to the Buffalo Bills. Holy crap! Okay, so so much of this game went according to prediction in certain ways. The offense, we talked about this at length on the podcast They're going to have a ways to go in order to become a legit offense. Chiefly, number one, because the offensive line is incredibly inexperienced individually, as in there are a couple rookies starting, and there are guys who have never played for the Steelers who are starting. And then they're also inexperienced collectively. And obviously, offensive line, more than almost any other position group, relies on cohesion and communication. How do I know that I'm going to have help inside on a particular defensive stunt? How do I know how to pass off to one guy and take another guy who's coming around the corner? Do I know how my guard likes to leverage players versus how I like to do it? So on and so forth. That takes a while to gel, and these guys have literally never played together. So there was no reason to expect them to be great in the first game. And similarly, Benny, Big Ben, we'll talk about him later, you know, he's not at the point in, the, in his career where he's just going to be able to carry a team past that. So when you have an offensive line that's questionable and a quarterback who's not going to be able to just single-handedly overcome it like a young Ben or a current Patrick Mahomes, it's going to make life difficult. The good thing for the Steelers is their playmakers are insane and they all took a step forward. But that being said, you know, also a new play caller, it's going to be a work in progress. So to beat the Buffalo Bills, who are predicted to be, you know, a top five type offensive team, you're going to need to play outstanding defense. And that's what the Steelers did. They absolutely overwhelmed the Bills. So here's what I took away from the defensive performance. Okay, first off, the constants on defense have remained consistent. The TJ Watts, the Cam Hayward, who is possibly the player of the game, the Minka Fitzpatricks, your star players, 
Joe Hayden, consistent guys, they all showed up and played the exact same way they have for the past three years since this defense has been an elite unit. Okay, easy. Then there are the gambles that the Steelers took. So that's either promoting backup guys who are trending upwards into starters or signing dudes like Melvin Ingram, Joe, Sh- I can't say Joe Schobert. I, I always want to say Joe Sherbert. And maybe we just go with that. Maybe whoever plays next to Devin Bush just gets a nickname. It's either Bob Spokane or Joe Sherbert. But the additions of Sherbert and Melvin Ingram, the promotion of Cam Sutton and James Pierre, the promotion of Alex Highsmith, all of those things paid off. The way Alex Highsmith and Pierre looked in the preseason, they looked the exact same against the Buffalo Bills. The way that Sutton looked in spot duty last year, and we talked about it at length on the podcast, man, if you had to choose between Hilton and Sutton, and maybe they didn't have to, maybe we could have had both, but if you had to choose between them both, Hilton's the bigger playmaker, but as far as a cover corner, the Steelers don't really have a guy like Sutton. You know, he's like a little bit of a younger of a Joe Hayden, just so versatile, always near the ball, knocks the ball away a lot. Well, guess what? That's exactly what he was in his first game as a true full-time starter. So all of those things paid off. The stars stayed like stars. The depth of the defensive line was on display. And then all the gambles the Steelers took. I mean, I don't even know if you would call, you know, signing Melvin Ingram a a gamble. I just mean like the experiments, the changes that they made paid off hugely. So when you look at the Steelers' defense – To me, it's the most talented defense in the league. It's the only defense that has superstar players at every level. Interior defensive line. Edge rusher. They got three legit edge rushers. Ingram was a superstar. He drew three holding calls and was driving his guy into into Josh Allen's face repeatedly. Highsmith looked exactly like he did in the preseason, and obviously, T.J. Watt. Just, I mean, how satisfied are you if you're the Roonies? This guy's not going to play in preseason. It's going to be fine. We're going to wait till the 11th hour to sign his deal. It's going to be fine. He says in his press conference after he signs the big deal, I think I'm going to be fine. I know I got to watch out for my own eagerness, and I got to realize that I haven't played contact football all summer, really. But honestly, I feel like I'm going to do okay. Well, he did okay, didn't he? Was it two sacks, forced fumble, all kinds of stuff. Pressure galore, holding calls. He was awesome, right? So... You look at those levels, and then obviously Devin Bush, Schobert in the middle, corners being much better than than people realize, and then Minka Fitzpatrick. I want to talk about him for a second. I thought that that was one of Minka's best games as a Steeler, and I'll say this. Minka's role against Buffalo was far different than what it had been in the prior two years, where he's basically been chained to that center field, uh, center field role, which he's awesome at, but... The Steelers don't have other guys who can, you know, play deep that way. That's why they are hoping to get Trey Norwood, who also had a nice game at, at moments, <laughs> hoping that they can use guys like that to free Minka up to do what he did at Alabama, which is play in the slot more and come downhill a little bit more. This guy is insanely versatile, and he made so many plays around the line of scrimmage. He had so many short tackles. It was it was outrageous. I saw somebody say he got juked out by Josh Allen once or twice. Whatever, man. The guy was stopping critical third down and ones. Also, when you're a quarterback, you have all the momentum, you know, and a guy's shooting downhill at you. It's not the hardest thing to make a miss, right? It's not like Josh Allen killed him. He had one good run, 
And besides that, they completely bottled him up. So I was amazed, uh, well, not amazed, but pumped to see Minka Fitzpatrick making so many plays near the line of scrimmage. So from a personnel standpoint, I've been saying the whole offseason, they're better than the Buffalo Bills. The Bills don't have a dominant line. They don't have a run game. But the quarterback is so damn good at throwing and scrambling. And Stephon Diggs, the Steelers don't have one single guy who can cover him, that it could be trouble. Right? But thanks to Mike Tomlin and the butt man, Keith Butler, it wasn't trouble. They put their defense in a position to let the talent win out. And I, th- I saw a tweet by Aditi Kinkabwala that said last year against the Bills, the Steelers blitzed around 30 plus percentage of the time, percent of the time. And this time they blitzed like two or three times the entire game. So they got home consistently by rushing four and leaving a bunch of guys back in coverage. And we saw a bunch of guys make plays on the ball, like Sutton making that break up on the flea flicker. And even if you look at the touchdown, beautiful throw from Josh Allen to, I can't remember the guy's name, 13, in the back of the end zone, Sutton was all over him. And that is not traditionally the Steelers' way. Usually teams get those free passes in the end zone to guys who are wide open. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that the catches were far more contested than they've been in past years. And that's the kind of thing Super Bowl defenses do. You hear, uh, I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl or whatever, but you hear announcers say that hilarious cliche take all the time, like you have to get home with four. You can only get home with four if you have four superstars. It's a personnel thing. You have to have guys like Cam Hayward who are pushing two guys in the pocket all the way back into the quarterback, and that's what the Steelers have. Tomlin and Butler uh, realize that Josh Allen has some gunslinger tendencies. Look, Ben Roethlisberger, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Russell Wilson, all of those guys are gunslingers. They want to throw the ball downfield. They do not like to check the ball down underneath. And we saw Cincinnati in particular during the Vontae's perfect years. They really stifled Ben by playing two high safeties and Reggie and Nelson would have a, a pick on Ben every single game. But they basically said, them and the Ravens, hey, Ben, you're just going to have to throw underneath the entire time. And guys like Brady and Breeze, who are more the surgical types, maybe Breeze can't make the big type downfield plays that Ben and the Gunslingers and Josh Allen do, but those surgical guys are fine just carving you up underneath. But with the Gunslinger types, sometimes they struggle with it. And I give Tomlin and Butler a ton of credit for using that as the game plan. And additionally, I give them a ton of credit for being so creative with three like Pro Bowl-type edge rushers finding a way to get Melvin Ingram on the field so often. He was phenomenal. This really could be uh, the perfect storm that we were all crossing our fingers for with Melvin Ingram uh, in the offseason. Like, hey, this guy, he's actually been healthy for his entire career, but he's, he's older now, and he has not been healthy for the past few years. Well, you got Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt here. What if this guy was able to play a situational role where he's not playing a huge number of snaps. But when he comes in, he has the versatility to go inside or outside and he can just focus on blowing people into oblivion more. And that's exactly what they did. So for Mike Tomlin and Keith Butler, this was one of their best defensive performances that I've seen in a long time, especially when you consider the fact that Brian Dayball has been a phenomenal offensive coordinator for the Bills. The guy made Mitch Trubisky look good in the preseason, okay? He made Mitch Trubisky look like a good quarterback, all right? The guy's pretty damn good. And additionally, you pair 
a coordinator like that with somebody, once again, like Josh Allen, I mean, look, it's like a Ben Roethlisberger 2.0. We, we've seen so many games like this earlier in his career where it doesn't matter how many times the Ravens would bottle, bottle him up. Eventually, he would scramble around and just make a play. That's what you have with Josh Allen. So the talent on the Steelers' defense is absolutely absurd. They have depth. Hopefully, you know, obviously we want them to stay healthy. There's not a ton of depth in the secondary, but that's why the Trey Norwood uh, game yesterday was encouraging. Guy still needs how to learn how to tackle. But otherwise, he made a play in the end zone on the ball. That's very encouraging. Uh, the talent is insane. And if Mike Tomlin and Keith Butler can be more game plan specific like that, that's pretty attractive. So obviously, they led the way to the victory. The other component of the victory is special teams, who are very up and down. But this game, like many others, I think is decided by a special teams touchdown, right? When you have a special teams touchdown in a game, I don't know what the stats is, but it's one of those cliche things where, oh, a team, if they get a special teams or a defensive touchdown, they win, you know, 70% of the time, whatever. Well, that pump block was the game. Pump block for a touchdown. Steelers get one of those every year, and very oftentimes it's in the first game. I remember the fourth play of the Cleveland Browns season a few years ago. The Steelers blocked that punt into the end zone. I think they ended up tying that game, right? I could be wrong there. But either way, that turned the game around in such massive fashion. And at the end of the game, Chris Boswell, the Bosman's back. And I don't know if it was Trey Essex, but it was a former Steeler. I think it was Trey Essex who made a uh, a tweet about this after the game, one of the best moves that Kevin Colbert, Mike Tomlin, and the Steelers have made was sticking with Chris Boswell through that, what was it, 2018, 2019, through that one really bad campaign that Chris Boswell had where we realized after the season, actually, it turns out he was injured because other than that, he's been a Hall of Fame kicker. The guy's percentage is out of this roof and he's just ice water in his veins. So many game-winning kicks. And I remember when the Steelers were on that final drive, And they were up by seven. And I'm yelling at the TV, like, let Boswell win the game. You know, this offense came alive a little bit in the second half, but you're not, this isn't the killer B years. You're not saying just go for the jugular, get into the end zone, they can do it. No, you can get into field goal range and let your superstar kicker win the game for you. The way that the Patriots did for so many years with Vinatieri and the way that the Ravens have done it with Justin Tucker. And there was little doubt in my mind that when they got under 50 yards, like this guy's going to make the game-winning field goal. That is such a luxury, and it is such a major factor to keep your eye on for this year because clearly this first game shows you something. This is a defensive team. I mean, obviously we knew that before. But if they can play defense, special teams, and then the offense can slowly improve, you got something there. And having an all-world kicker is part of that because that way they can make sure they don't turn the ball over, which they were successful at. On offense and on those final drives where, yep, there's no A.B. and Martavis. You're not just going to chuck the ball downfield. There's no all-world offensive line. You got past midfield. You chewed off a bunch of clock. Let's be conservative now. Make sure they don't give the ball up to Josh Allen and then let the all-world kicker seal the game. There's like two minutes left in the game and the Bills are going to be down by 10. It's over. So that's what they did. That was massive. Now, granted, they started the damn game off with an almost kick return for a touchdown. So that's no good. By the way, who saved that touchdown? It was Ulysses Gilbert, who was really on the fringe of making the roster or not this year. Well, he was proven, uh, he proved the coaching staff right because this man saved a touchdown and then he scored a touchdown on the pump block 
which Miles Killebrew was uh, another Steelers addition who made a big play. He blocked the punt. Ulysses Gilbert scored. Also saved that kick return touchdown. Very sexy. Very nice job. Good job, UG3. And then Harvin, Presley Harvin, not as good in the first game as he was in the preseason. Had one nice punt and then a couple others that took some lucky bounces, but he's going to need to develop. Of course, in Minnesota, Jordan Berry has the game of his life. I think that was him in Minnesota. (laughs) That's Murphy's Law, right? But the special teams were up and down, uh, but they made massive plays when it counted. That pump block really turned around the whole game, especially to get the touchdown off it. And then Chris Boswell sealing the game. That's something the Steelers should be looking at. Look at that Justin Tucker Ravens mold from the past few years. All right. So there's the fun part. No, I'm kidding. Offense, there's still some fun stuff to talk about. The offense is also as expected. We've been saying this for the past few weeks. The line is not going to be good in the early season. It's just too much to expect to have a bunch of rookies in there and a bunch of guys who have never played together to just be able to start on NFL Sundays and be good. Now, that doesn't mean they won't get much better, but it's just too tall of a task. It's too unrealistic to think that they're going to start the season off okay, and they did not start the season off okay. The positive thing is this. You saw some massive plays from Kendrick Green. I think he choke slammed a cornerback. That's pretty cool. I mean, obviously, we're looking for him to block defensive linemen. He did plenty of that. But choke slamming a a cornerback, I mean, that's a Marquise Pouncey move, right? That's what you want to see for number 53 center. He got out there 30, 40 yards down the field to lead Chase Claypool on that massive end-around run that they had. Awesome. Trey Turner, up and down, a couple nice pulls, a couple not-so-nice things. Uh, Kevin Dotson, a couple nice big seals on the three-run Big run plays that the Steelers had, if you can call them big. Uh, But they were very up and down. And in the first half, I mean, we saw the Randy Feetner offense under Matt Canada. It was quick passes, screens, uh, runs on second and 10, frustration land. It's just, just brutal. Why do I have to watch that? So frustrating. Well, the reason is because every time they tried to throw the ball downfield, Roethlisberger had two defenders on top of him by the time he finished his drop. So they really weren't able to throw the ball down the field. I mean, it was that bad where the guys were getting through that way. And, of course, we saw plenty of runs where Najee Harris is swallowed up by three guys the second he touches the ball. But then we saw a couple nice runs that went for 10 or over 10 yards, which we didn't see for the entire year last year. And we saw third and one conversion. Never saw that last year. So there are signs of improvement, which is great. But offensive line is as expected. You just have to be um, a little pumped about some of the flashes you saw from Kendrick Green and some of the guys. But massive work in progress. I don't expect it to be much better next week. But luckily, the Raiders aren't exactly rolling out, you know, an all-star team. But they do have some good Defense, some decent defensive linemen that the Steelers are going to have to uh, play against. But really, here's the thing. We want to look up in week eight and say, how does the line look now? That's going to be my first real barometer. And until then, they just kind of got to hang on. So the issues the Steelers are having on offense, to me, are, are simpler than sometimes we make them. It's number one, the line is an absolute work in progress. And that is a friendlier way of saying they're bad. They're bad right now. They, they could get better. They hopefully will get better. It's not a guarantee, but they should get better. The offensive line is not great. 
So when you can't open up holes in the run game, issue. When you can't protect the quarterback long enough to get the ball downfield, issue. Now, moving on to the next phase, the other obvious thing is that Ben is in his old Batman face, okay? So Batman Beyond, one of the coolest cartoons of all time. Basically, for anybody who hasn't seen it, Bruce Wayne is a super old man. He's like, I'm too old for this crap. I can't do this anymore. He's like, he's giant. It looks like the steroids just never wore off. He's down in his cave. He's surly as hell. He's got a Doberman. He's like, dude, I can't answer the door. You, you answer it. If it's anybody bad, you know, bite him. If it's someone cool, tell him to go away. All right? He finds this little teenage dude, cocky guy, Terry McGinnis. He sneaks into the Batcave somehow, steals the futuristic bat suit. No cape, but it does have like squirrel flying wings. So he flies around. It's pretty sick. You should check it out. But Ben is basically Batman in Batman Beyond, which is it's Bruce Wayne with a cane kind of hobbling around. But every once in a while, if Terry McGinnis gets in trouble, he's like, oh, come on, let, me, let me get out there. Let me, get, let, me, let me punch someone in the sternum and explode their chest. Ben can still do that. He can still punch people in the sternum and explode their chests and their hearts, right? But it can't happen very often. He, at this point, is not good enough to overcome a bad offensive line. And the problem is, if the line isn't good, it, like let's look at Brady in his final year in New England. They had no playmakers, and the line was good, but not as dominant as they're used to. So Brady was just very underwhelming that year. He was not a disaster, but he was underwhelming. The problem is, if Ben doesn't have protection, we're looking at what happened last year and what happened in the first game. He is a disaster. It gets bad because... He has never been the rhythm-passing, short kind of short-passing surgeon guy, right? And Drew Brees, he was able to withstand that in his old age, but he just offered them no playmaking, so they were screwed. But if they were able to protect Drew Brees or if they weren't, he could get the ball out. I mean, they were. They've had a great offensive line forever. But, you know, he can get the ball out quickly. Ben, that's not his game. Drew Brees has never been able to do the things that Ben's been able to do downfield, but that's what Ben does. He likes to fade back in the pocket, kind of dance around for a second, and then as he's gotten older, the dancing has taken place in a four-by-four box, if you will, but he likes to fire the ball downfield, and that's what he's unbelievable at. He's better at that than almost anybody in the history of the damn game. But the quick little dink and dunk is not his thing. I mean, you see his throwing motion change on some of these slant routes that he throws. He will shot put the ball. It'll be like a rainbow on like a four-yard slant, and you're just saying, oh, my God, this is going to get intercepted. And then worse, it results in these receivers just getting absolutely clocked by people because the ball's taking a while to get there, and they're telegraphing. So Ben's very uncomfortable in that scenario, and I don't think that's going to change very much. So... He can't really overcome the line not being good. Now, the difference between him and Drew Brees is where he's more like an old man Tom Brady. Obviously, we're seeing in Tampa right now, Brady's fine. Um, ben still can sling the ball, as we saw when he helped seal the game with really nice throws on those uh, uh, like flag routes and, and, and sort of slot fades to Claypool and Juju later in the game. He can push the ball down the field if he does get some time, and the line did much better getting him some time. In the second half, it was a dramatic improvement. And so they really are tied at the hip, the line and Ben. Whereas earlier in Ben's career, it it was almost irrelevant. He was able to overcome it. So if they don't play well, Ben's a disaster. He is a liability. He will throw the ball to the other team. If they do play well, he can still win the game for you and do Ben-like things. So he is an interesting case that way. 
And that's why he is in a different spot than an old man, Peyton Manning or Philip Rivers or whatever, because he still does have the arm, but it's just very high variance in his play from high to low. So that's what I think the main thing with the offense is. And then the coordinator, he's still getting his, his sea legs. It's not so creative on offense that they're able to just, you know, generate things out of thin air. But then again, there was a couple nice screens. There was a nice reverse to Claypool. He got those done, but we saw some of those things work early last year and then completely fall off the cliff. The difference was those early successes last year were due to Matt Canada and some of those reverses and screen game type things. And then the second they stopped working, uh, who knows who said this, but I'm assuming it's a mix of Ben Feetner and Tomlin said, okay, well, it doesn't work anymore. And then Canada said, yeah, that's because people have seen the film. Now we can create counters off of those plays. And then the brass said, no, shut up. We're not going to do that. We're just, we're going to do, we're not doing any of that. You're fired for all intents and purposes. We'll hire you as the offensive coordinator last year. Hopefully this year they actually adjust to the successes they're having on this horizontal offense. So on the Ben front, hopefully he can, you know, stay healthy on the line front. They should improve. These guys are brand new. And then on the Matt Canada play calling front, hopefully he can improve as well as he gets a better feel for play calling in the NFL with this offensive line that sort of limits what you can do. And hopefully he starts integrating some of the counters uh, to some of these, you know, misdirection sort of horizontal type plays. And speaking of improvements, the Steelers playmakers have made some. So this is what separates the Steelers offense from traditional teams with bad offensive lines is that, The playmakers are insane. The receiving core is unbelievable. Deontay Johnson, especially if you watch some of the uh, clips posted to Twitter of the overhead views, this is one of the best route runners in the NFL. This is a top 10 route runner. Might even be getting better than that. Chase Claypool, obviously we know he has the Julio Jones type potential that way. Juju, I mean, hate him for the TikTok or whatever. I just can't believe Pittsburgh fans hate the wide receiver who's the best blocker in the league probably and trucks defensive backs like running back would. Okay, this guy's unbelievable. So once again, oh, shocker, who makes the big third down catches all throughout the game? Juju Smith-Schuster. Who catches two-yard passes with four guys all over him, doesn't complain, shrugs one guy off, trucks the other one into the ground, and then gets first downs? Juju Smith-Schuster, the ultimate Pittsburgh receiver. Get over the damn TikTok thing. Every generation is annoying when they come out. Look, I look at the TikTok stuff now and say, God, it's so cringy. How can these high school people do this? And you think, oh, well, I guess it would have been pretty bad if I had something like TikTok when I was in high school and my friends did too. So don't get, get off your high horse, right? It's just a generational thing. Juju is such a stealer. And then Nashi Harris, I mean, he was average in his first game. There, there were, he made a couple nice plays. I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass because it was his first game. He didn't have anywhere to run. There were a couple occasions where you sort of wish he would have broken another tackle or two. But once again, first game. But this is what separates the Steelers' offense from other teams with bad offensive lines is you can just get the ball in the hands of these playmakers. And I said that they improved, and the way they improved was a critical area that – I complained about all year last year. Deontay Johnson and Claypool have the potential to be Pro Bowl wide receivers. They need to make more combat catches. They need to make catches down the field when they're covered. I know that uh, early in the game, Claypool was really whining for a 
well, I, I won't say whining. He was really uh, lobbying overly hard for a pass interference call where the guy did interfere with him. I mean, he made contact with Chase before he got to the sideline on a moon ball that Ben threw while he was getting crushed. Another example of where it can be a little disastrous for Ben at this stage, for old man Batman uh, in the elderly stage where he gets hit and he throws the ball like a punt on a 14-yard pass. But those are the kind of plays where you want to see, Chase, why are you trying to catch that like a basket catch while you're backing away? Go jump over the guy and high point the ball and grab it out of the air. Well, he made one of the nicest high points we've seen in Pittsburgh in quite some time when he made that catch down the sideline. Unbelievable Plexico Burez catch where he reached his arms around the defensive back and caught the ball over the dude's head unbelievable and then Deontay Johnson's phenomenal touchdown catch in the back of the end zone where where Ben underthrew him just a little bit but here's the difference if Deontay and Claypool and Juju want to be pro bowl top tier receivers they have to make catches like that where okay Ben's underthrowing Deontay a little bit into the corner of the end zone but he threw it high and that's the key like Deontay you can be a superstar if we just throw it to you high in that area, you should be able to just catch the ball over the defensive back. And that's exactly what he did in a total highlight real catch. So to me, that was the difference between the offense this year and in the very end of last year. Those guys made some big plays downfield. And if Najino you know, takes the next step forward, Fryermuth, who had a nice little catch downfield, if he keeps going forward, Ebron also had a good catch where he got rocked downfield. If these guys can make big plays and Ben has just enough time to sort of lob it up to them, the Steelers are in good position. So the offense has a lot of room to improve and there's a lot of reason to think they can improve because of the youth on the line at the receiver position. Like the, they're, they're not at a point of receivers where they should be like, oh, you're imp- this should be the time where they go from star to superstar, right? Year three, year two type of guys. And also there's youth at the play caller position, considering that Canada hasn't really called plays in the NFL until now. So those are believable reasons for why the Steelers can improve. Compare that to a team like Minnesota, where they have Kirk Cousins. Obviously, Justin Jefferson is coming along, but you lost the, you lost Diggs. So it's sort of like a one for one, right? How much room do they have to improve, right? You kind of have your stars. You know who they are. I mean, I guess the offensive line is in shambles, but... They kind of just are what they are. They're a little bit maxed out at this point. How much better can the Green Bay Packers get this year since they didn't take a true playmaker, a first-round guy or a free agent guy who's really going to put them over the top? Like, how much better is Marquez Valdez-Scantling going to get in year three or four or whatever this is? Like, they're only going to get a little bit better, whereas the Steelers can get a lot better on offense. I don't have any illusions that they're going to be a top offense this year, but if they can just become a little bit more serviceable, if they can take out these quarters and these halves, like the first half, like the halves that remember uh, resembled the end of the 2020 campaign where they are disturbingly bad at offensive football, where Ben is just lobbing the ball up to the other team when he's getting hit, when Najee Harris gets swallowed up by four guys the second he touches the handoff. If you can get rid of that stuff, you can play possession, run through this all-world defense, throw the ball up downfield to some really insane playmakers that probably don't get enough national credit. These guys will be going for insane stats if it were four years ago, right? But you have them there. So the Steelers have so much to work with. What a victory. I mean... Big time implications for playoffs down the line to beat one of the very top seeds like that. 
completely turns the national perspective on the Steelers around by beating a major contender that literally every analyst on the earth predicted the Bills to to beat the Steelers. I mean, they have so many graphics on Twitter saying Bills, 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 20, 30, 40, 50 people saying only the Bills are going to win. I even said on the podcast, I think the Steelers are going to keep this really close, but I do think that the Bills will win. And I said that that won't even necessarily give me a negative outlook on the Steelers season. It just depends. Do the Steelers play well? But you're going into a Buffalo team that has a ton of continuity and is basically just revving the engine back up from the AFC championship game. So even if the Steelers lose, the sky's not falling. Well, the sky's definitely not falling because they won. So the taste around the Steelers season is dramatically changed outside of Pittsburgh. But I think for us Steelers fans and for us here on Steelers Outpost podcast, they perform the way we thought they would. There are just simply too many all pro superstar players on both sides of the ball, really all three if you're counting Chris Boswell as well, which you should. And just an incredible way to start the season. That That is such a change. What a way to get the bad taste of last year out of your mouth. That ending to last year controlled so much of the narrative around the Steelers, and now they got a crappy Oakland team coming to Pittsburgh with fans for the first time in a long time. The offense, look, man, it's, it's going to be – ugly. It's it's probably going to look very similar. There's little reason to think that they're just going to take a massive step forward, but hopefully they take a small step forward from last game and you handle the Raiders because you got the Raiders and the Bengals coming up in consecutive weeks. Turns out that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are just fine, but if you stop Josh Allen and a better Bills offensive line, you know, than Cincinnati, you, you should be able to deal with that. We're looking ahead here. But the Steelers can get to 3-0 and before they go play the Packers. That is a, an, an A-plus start to the season. You look at the season in quarters, and I guess that's kind of ruined now with 17 games. But going 3-1 and or 4-0 and in this first quarter is going to really change the complexion of the Steelers' season. Obviously, the entire season, like every team, revolves around staying healthy. And if guys get injured, hopefully it's only for a short period of time where they're able to come back and resume a high level of play. But otherwise... All the Steelers got to do this year is rely on the all-world defense, and hopefully that offense just takes small steps forward every single game. And Ben has enough time and enough bravery, because sometimes he gets in his head, to get the ball downfield to these playmakers, and hopefully these playmakers go from men to boys like they did against the Bills, and they make catches over people's heads, and they reach their arms into the chest cavity of their opponents, and they tear out their hearts, and, and they eat them. That's all the Steelers need to do. Thank you for joining me on the Steelers Outpost podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. For Papa Tom and me, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.